Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. You know what's really important to me when I do business with a company is trust and transparency. I've been telling you now for a good while about my buddy Damon Burton and his company, SEO National, because trust and transparency are just as important to them. You know, for the last 15 years in the search engine optimization space, they have been leading the way and serving people tremendously well. Now, for those of you that don't know what SEO is, it stands for search engine optimization. It helps you show up higher on Google searches so that folks that are looking for what you have find you quicker. And you know what's really encouraging? More revenue, more sales, growing your business. Do me a favor, get in touch with Damon and his team today at SEO National at 855-736-6285 or go to seonational.com and get your free quote and tell him you heard it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. I hope you're ready because here comes a dynamite conversation on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. This is a personal treat because I get to talk to a lot of my friends, but this is personal because this friend and I connected through our sons. His two twin boys, Robert and Roger, and my son, Bryce, were high school basketball teammates for two seasons at Calvary Baptist Academy in Hurricane, West Virginia. And while I sat behind the microphone and, and kept scorebook, Greg would sit in the stands with his lovely wife, Jennifer, and cheer <laughs> on our boys. And so while I was doing the dirty work, while I was doing the heavy lifting, Greg would be sitting up and I'm just messing with you. I can we mess were, with him we because were, we were both straining our voices the whole yeah, time. Got that right. But <laughs> my guest is my friend, Greg Clutter, who joins me on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And Greg is going to talk here in a little bit about a ministry that he's a part of that is so cool. And that's why I wanted to have him on. But more than that, just to connect with him again, because of, of, of the connection through our boys that we have. So, uh, would you do me a, a, a big honor and a big favor and welcoming my friend Greg Clutter to the Intentional Encourage Podcast? Greg, how you doing, man? Hey, Brian, thank you for thank you for doing this. It's always great to great to talk to you and to catch up. And you're right, we don't we don't miss a beat. It can be days or weeks, and uh, it's like we it's like we've been right there the whole time. So this is a this is an honor. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and and you know we I, I was thinking about this a little bit ago before we started recording you know we we've been a lot of places together on road trips and things like that with our boys and um you know i'll i'll never forget your two boys were juniors my son was a senior and we were in Summersville, and we were we were at our our state christian school basketball tournament and we're leading by 15 points at halftime and everybody's feeling good. Everybody's like, yeah, this is great. We're going to win one. We're going to, we're going to take a state championship home and, and then, um, having to console our boys after a tough loss. Um, especially, yeah, especially Bryce, my son, it was his last high school basketball game and four other young men, 
mm-hmm. on his team that that played their last high school basketball games and you go through the highs and lows of it and, and i'll start there you know the highs and lows of athletics talk about some of the things that you you went through with your boys because i could i could tell stories i i you know about some of the things that we went through with with price but you know what what about you and 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 some of the things that you went through with your boys playing sports in high school well you know it is uh <clears throat> that was one of the lows uh brian that that uh, t- to see that hope be so close and it was a state championship and we were rolling and at halftime we were up uh and and to see uh that slip away and you could see the kids letting it slip away uh or the kids weren't letting it slip away you could see the other team really cranking it up and uh but to have to console them afterwards uh sometimes that's the sometimes those are the breaks the other uh you know the other thing that we did was very different uh is our boys were largely homeschooled so we had to create things uh we uh, in, 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 uh, in a small community where we were, there weren't a lot of opportunities for kids to play that were homeschooled. So we found ourselves uh, having to travel and play at schools where we were able to play for a good bit of time until we landed at Calvary Baptist with, uh, with Bryce. So we were always a little bit the, uh, someone that was from the outside looking in, uh, and, and the kids constantly had to prove themselves, constantly had to prove their skills and their work ethic uh, and all those things. Uh, and didn't didn't always get the opportunities right away when they knew that they were good kids, they were good players, and they were good kids. Uh, they they had to work their way back into those scenarios, uh, and then it put us in an odd place for travel ball too. We found ourselves having to go to to different teams, being being homeschoolers. But uh, but ultimately we landed in a great place like uh, like Calvary Baptist, and and uh, and it was just surrounded by a great people that that uh, became our community, and. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I will tell the one story, Brad, I don't know if you were there or not, uh, but their senior year, so uh, some time after Bryce had left, mm-hmm. uh, we found ourselves in the same place, Somerville, West Virginia, playing in the state tournament. That year, Robert had broken his ankle. I remember that, yeah. I was there at that tournament. We were, and uh, he had broken his ankle early. He was back, I think that was his fourth game back. Uh, uh, but his brother Roger had had a tough year. He found himself as a senior coming off the bench and was having a tough year and, and was having a hard time getting in the swing of things. <clears throat> and they come into that tournament and they were in the championship game. And Robert had the game before had scored 20 points and just was fantastic to get to the semifinals into the final game. <clears throat> and they were struggling. It was halftime. We were behind. Uh, Roger comes off the bench, I believe, for his brother, uh, and and proceeds to shoot a three-pointer. We jokingly always called him Kyle Corver, if you remember right, because he loved to shoot those three-pointers. Yep. He proceeds to drop into the corner and shoot a three-pointer, and it went in. And we were three points closer. I they can still down. see that shot in my mind, him yeah, shooting. They, yeah. they, they go down, uh, get a the defensive stop, he shoots again. It's three three-pointers in a row. There's this other kid, this big center that's killing us and uh, was a great kid. He's killing us during that game on the other team. And he has he has three fouls. Uh, Roger hits a three-pointer, runs all the way down, somehow gets in front of the kid, 
and draws a charge. It's the fourth foul on him, and the game was like over. Calvary had just put it away. Yeah. And it was that. It was him continuing to dig and scratch, and with a frustrating season. In that he became the hero of that final game. And uh, what a, what a what a great moment and a chance to look at him and say, see, it, it pays off. Ultimately, it does. You know something that the thing the thing that I remember most too about about the two years that our our kids played together is that your boys are so different in personalities yeah you know robert is very intense yeah he's pretty intense you know there's and i remember having conversations with him on the court and things like that great kid i mean i love rob but very intense roger is very laid back Roger yeah, is, absolutely. you know, he, he and, he and Bryce were a little, they, they probably bonded more. He, he loved right. playing with Rob, but he bonded more with Roger because right. their personalities were real similar. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask you this. How do you keep your boys encouraged with those two different personality types? Cause you have to, you know, I had to manage Bryce a little bit differently, yeah. you know, when the times were good. The times were good when the times were bad. You know, it was like, man, son, I don't have all the answers. How did you keep the two of them encouraged with those different personality styles that they had? It was. It, so with Robert, it was being intentional and being with him and helping solve the problem. It was just to, to if you were there alongside him as he was working through things, it was very uh, it was a very intentional process. Even to this day, he and I, he's a sophomore at Western University, uh, and and when things get tough, he'll call me, and we problem solve together. And that is to show him that he can do that and can work through those things uh, is the best thing that I can do for him. Absolutely the best thing I can do for him. For, for his brother, it is, uh, it's making time. It's a very different, it's a very different thing. It's just making time, talking about what's going on in life, encouraging him on the, the tough things. We had a text exchange today about a tough test he had today. Uh, but, but he'll reach out and he'll have those conversations and you'll walk through, you know, kind of step by step and encouraging them to, to, to the, the test was tough. Uh, we, we simply encourage him to, to, to keep thinking, okay, the next one's better. You know what to, uh, you know what to expect now. Uh, and it's, uh, it, it's a very, very different process in terms of, more communicative on one side and more problem solving on the other, but it, but it works for both. And I'll, I'll tell you this, what, what, what I, what I appreciate about both your boys with Robert, Robert was, was their enforcer, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he was the, he was the one like, don't mess with my teammates. He was the one that would, would, if he got fouled, he'd get up and fight you. If he, yeah. Roger, and you, you mentioned the charge that he took in that game. He was so pumped about taking that charge because he, he, I think he wanted to look at his brother and go, see, I'm tough too. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I'm tough too. But, but that, that is the – and you guys came to the school at a time and, and, and – you guys had played at another Christian school for a couple of years and you played with a young man named Isaac Massey who came in and, and, yeah. and the four of them came in together, Isaac, Robert, Roger, and Bryce. Yeah. 
yeah. all came in together to a team that had just had an incredible year and won a state championship the year before. Right. And and these kids are all coming in together. And, you know, we had left a, 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 the, the rival school of our school. You know, we had left the yeah. rival and come to Calvary. And it was a, it was a different dynamic for us. When you think about, you, you just talked about, and, and I love what you said about homeschooling your boys and having to create opportunities and things like that. Was there ever a, a time where you said, boy, I don't know if this is going to work. Maybe we've done, so, you know, we, we, you, you guys knew what you had at Covenant, yeah. the Christian school that you left. You guys could have stayed there forever and, and been just fine, but you took a leap of faith. Let me ask you this. What made you decide to leave? And was there ever any trepidation about, okay, are we overstepping an opportunity here? I hope I'm asking that question right. Uh, yeah, uh, you, you are. And I will tell you, first of all, uh, we love the we love the folks we were we were playing with when we were we were playing with the other school. Yep, it was a, it was a great experience. We still have great relationships with the coach and former players. Uh, it was an hour drive each day, uh, each way. Uh, so it was it was far for us, uh, and that was taking a toll. And probably during that process is when we're going. I don't know if we can. I don't know if we're going to make this work. I just it was it was just constant. Uh, but then we, we felt led to do something closer to home. Uh, there were some things the schools, individual schools started doing that were closer to where we live to allow homeschoolers to play. And we came to visit, uh, uh, just visited a couple schools. We visited that rival school that you talked about where Bryce came from and we visited Calvary Baptist. And when we sat down at that time with the principal at Calvary Baptist, it was just an amazing man of God, just had been there forever. We sat down at the same time as another family that was considered it was the Massey's that, that had Isaac. Yeah. We sat down at the same time and said, are we going to make this move? And we all came out of that saying, that is a gentleman that we want our boys around. And when we yeah. got to know the coach and we got to know, so they, they were so encouraging and uplifting to keep with the theme of the intentional encourager. They were just really so encouraging about the character and how they'd pour into the character of the kids. And it wasn't all about basketball. It was about uh, it was about their Christian walk. It was about uh, the character they were pouring into the boys. Uh, we we knew that long run, my boys don't play. Bryce doesn't play basketball anymore. We don't we don't do that anymore. Yeah. Uh, and the boys go, yeah. to rec, go to the rec center and play a little basketball. But it helped mold them into the young men they are. It was the it was the encouragement of their of their coach, uh, Coach Spencer at that time, you know, when they were having a down, uh, having a down game, just building them back up uh, and, and constantly working through those things and what, what helped them become better young men. Uh, so did we ever, I think part of your question was, did we ever look at it and say, this is not gonna work out? I think before we got to Calvary, we were probably thinking more of, are we gonna make this work? What are we gonna do? We were in a state where yeah. in public schools, you couldn't, yeah, homeschoolers couldn't play in public schools uh, in, in the state at that time. They can now. So we were having to create every opportunity, and it was those last few years 
where we said, this is going to work out. Well, and, and we were kind of thinking the same thing because, you know, we, we, you know, I was, I was the PA voice of the lions. That was the nickname is I was their PA voice. And we knew going into the next year that, that Bryce was probably going to start because they were losing kids and he was yeah. coming up and, and they, it's like, okay, he's probably going to start, but he was just like, you know, I, I just see some things changing. And what we had to keep in mind, Greg, was it was about him and it wasn't about us. Amen. Amen. And, and, you know, as dads, you know, especially, you know, you, you always want your boys to do well. You always want your boys to play well and things like that. But you have to remind yourself, you know what? I'm not practicing every day. Right. I'm not the one right. that, that has to run every day. Yeah. You know, it's about, and, and I, and, and, and Greg, here's the thing. And, and, and I'll go here and then we'll, we'll take a, a quick break. I saw a lot of parents and you did too, that kind of lived vicariously yeah. through their kids. You know, if the coach took him out, I can't believe the coach took him out. What are they thinking? <laughs> they going to lose for, you know, and, and again, I didn't run a lap. I didn't. Now I, I, I had a little friendly wager when we were at Taze Valley Christian. I had a little friendly wager with one of the kids. I said, Something about, you know, if you guys do something, I'll, I'll, they had to run before practice. I said, you know, one of them, I said, if you guys make a shot, I'll run with you. And they did. And I was like, oh, I got to pay, <laughs> like, what, what I I pay this up. <laughs> and they were like, Bryce, your dad's going to run with us. And I was like, <laughs> You know, I was like, I was dying. I was like, that was the dumbest thing I've ever done. But, but again, Greg, we saw a lot of things. What, what I admired yeah. and appreciated about the experience that we went through with our boys was, for the most part, the parents that we surrounded ourselves with, we trusted the coach. We trusted yes. him. Yes. And I always told I always say, and, and all the coaches, let me, let me say something. All the coaches that, that we had for us were fantastic people. You yes. mentioned the coach you guys had. He coached Bryce in a YMCA league. Fantastic yeah. man. Wonderful man. We, we had great experiences. But there were times that parents were just chirping and griping and, and just complaining about everything. And it was like there was a spirit of entitlement there. And I'm like, yes. wait a minute. Yeah. Why are you guys doing this? You're yeah. feeding your kids with negativity. And Amen. And folks, listen. I'm just having an honest conversation with my friend. I hope you're enjoying it because here's the thing. High school sports have gotten to the point and I'm going to jump off here and I'm going to I'm going to go get a get a little opinionated for just a second. We've made high school sports too much about my kid's going to go to the NBA or my kid's going to go to the NFL or my kid's going to play Major League Baseball. You know, we're going to do... You talk about creating opportunities. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But there are times that kids get put on a pedestal. Yes. They are entitled before they ever earn anything. Mm -hmm. 
because of talent. And, and I saw that, and, and I tried so hard, and I know you did too, to ingrain in, in my son the fact that we're not going to act that way. And we're not yeah. going to do those things. Yeah. We're going to intentionally be different. Did you ever have to have a similar conversation with your boys that I had to have with mine? We, we have that conversation, Brian, all the time. Uh, we, we had a pretty simple conversation from the time they were very young. And it was, why are we playing sports? And dad always said, we're using sports as a way to train young men to be men, uh, to overcome adversity, to work hard, to do those things. And you know my face. I try. I, sometimes I'll wear it on my sleeve. Uh, I, I hope that I usually do. Uh, we would also have very honest conversations of we're, we're playing sports to take our talents and honor God. Right. That's why we're doing it. We're not honoring ourselves. Uh, and we should be thankful. It's another reason why we were just so blessed to be in the, in the environment we were that was, that was uh, very, very faith-based. And we surrounded ourselves with families that thought that. Uh, we, we had that conversation of why do we do this? And without being intentional around having the conversation of why are we playing sports, you know, there would be times, I'm sure, where we'd have one of the kids maybe sitting on the bench a little bit too much. They would have said, I don't know why I'm doing this. This is not what I'm doing. I'm not getting my stats. I'm not getting to do this. Yeah. Uh, we had the senior year that we were there, and you, and you saw it, where Robert, who was going into the uh, – after about four games, was probably the highest scorer in the league, and he's in our little conference uh, in the whole area. He comes down, he breaks his foot. Yeah. And he continued to sit on the bench and encourage his teammates and learn uh, and, and observe practices and go to practices and, and keep, uh, keep stats while he sat there with the assistant coaches and, and stayed a part of the whole thing. And that's, you know, being a part of something bigger than yourself is another reason we play sports. Uh, and, it's, and, and it's ingrained so much uh, in, into our boys that they uh, – uh, you know, it's funny because now they're in college and they're working. Uh, they're both working and they both have full time schedules. And their their basketball is just uh, a little bit of time here and there at the rec center, uh, and they love it. Now they just see it as uh, as fun. I've seen other kids that leave and go. I never want to see it again because it was just too intense. And let's face yeah. it, there our our small area. They were going to be very few kids that were even going to go on to that next level. That's right. You know, NAIA D three. They, they weren't they weren't even going to get to that level so to build them up with those expectations instead of just embracing it for what it was it wasn't fair to the kids but we saw it all the time oh absolutely absolutely let's step aside take a break when we come back i want greg to talk about what he and his wife jennifer are involved in now a a great place in the morgantown west virginia area called chestnut mountain ranch we will talk about that when we come back from break. My guest, my friend, Greg Clutter, is with me here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Come back with us here in just a moment. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton here. The new year is upon us, and you may be sitting there thinking, hey, I would really love to pay off some debt, or I would like to save for that dream vacation. Maybe you want to buy a new car. Whatever it is you want to do, 
financially in the coming year. Let me give you a great piece of intentional encouragement and something to think about that might help you do it. Products for Profit. Now, this is a course taught by my good friend Joe Hart, who's been a guest on the Intentional Encourager podcast and has told his story how reselling changed his life. And you know what, folks? It could do the same thing for you, too. It's really simple. Reselling is basically buying a product and then reselling it online for more money. And Joe is going to take you through the steps and show you how to do this either part-time or maybe as some of his students have done, take this full-time as well. Go to coachjoe89.gumroad.com backslash L backslash premium PFP. And oh, by the way, this group is going to help you find leads of products that are profitable right now, give you all kinds of great intentional encouragement, and you're going to be surrounded by a community of people that are going to want to see you be successful in the reselling game. Again, go to coachjoe89.gumroad.com backslash L backslash premium PFP and tell him you heard about it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Greg, you and your wife, Jennifer, took a, a big leap, and I mentioned it a little bit before the break. You guys left jobs to go to a place in Morgantown, West Virginia. Forget the fact that 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 you moved to Morgantown. Good grief, man! You moved to Morgantown. <laughs> I went to listen for what folks great, that don't understand. For folks that don't understand this, so there's a little bit of a rivalry between. Marshall University, where I live close to Huntington, and I went to Marshall, go herd. I got my Marshall class <laughs> ring on. And uh, WVU, and it's it's big brother, little brother. Big brother is WVU, little brother is Marshall. And, and you know, there, it's no secret that the two schools are, they've got that friendly rivalry. But um, you and your wife, Jennifer, went to a unique ministry to help them out. Take me through that story that you guys um, went through with Chestnut Mountain Ranch and kind of what you guys are doing up there to really make okay. an impact. You talk about the 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 impact that sports had on your boys. You now are getting to make an impact on young people in a different yeah, way. Absolutely. So let's start out just talking a little bit about what Chestnut Mountain Ranch is. Uh, and then, then we go through the history because it was a journey. It was a very... Uh, a very, in hindsight, it was methodical and some, sometimes may have looked a little chaotic in terms of how we made the decision to get here, but it was, a, it was very much a methodical journey. So Chestnut Mountain Ranch is, uh, is a, is a Christ-centered home and school uh, for at-risk boys for, where we restore hope and healing for them and their families. Uh, that is our primary vision, is to restore hope to these boys and their families. The, they, these boys are uh, typically middle school age. Uh, they come here in that, that, that middle school range uh, with, their, with their families, whatever the family may look like, uh, whether that is some of the families are now grandparents, some of the families are, the boys have been adopted and some are single moms and, and, and you know, more traditional families. Uh, but they, they come to the ranch and for a season of time, they, they live at the ranch in homes with house parents and house parents are, they model these great values. They constantly point the kids to Christ. Uh, and it's a very structured, loving community that we surround these boys with. They go 
uh, they go up the street to a school uh, that's, a, that's an accredited school there at Chestnut Mountain Ranch uh, for our boys, where they have very small, very purposeful classrooms. My wife, Jennifer, is a teacher uh, in one of those classrooms where she teaches primarily English and history. Uh, the classrooms, because these boys come from places, your average, your average young man that's there, uh, I like to describe it as if, if they had another few months, another few years heading down the path where they're on, uh, they were going to be in trouble. These kids would be in the juvenile justice system. Uh, there would be other, they would be in trouble. They maybe don't finish school. Uh, so these families are looking for a place to go heal and provide hope. So the boys live there for a season. They go to, they go to school on, on, on campus. Uh, we also have a family life center where we do a lot of life skills development, pure Christian discipleship with the kids, uh, the boys. This is where we're talking about what's been working, what's not been working for them uh, in school and at the home, and work through those problems where we're trying to break those habits. And we're doing that all the time. We're trying to change behavior. Uh, we're trying to point them toward, you made that choice and here was the result. And we're yeah. being very intentional about that. Uh, and in, and in, the, in the, the life family life centers where we kind of bring it all together and work through those things one-on-one -on -one with, with, with trained folks. But the secret sauce, well, the secret sauce is we're always pointing them to the, to the true source of hope, which is Jesus Christ. We're always doing that. That is that's the, the core of everything we do. Uh, but also, I talked about being a part of the Family Life Center and the, 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 the kind of counseling and education we do there. Uh, the families are also part of that. This is a, this is a process where the, the families bring the boys. It's an application process. They are part of that. We are breaking generational cycles of behavior that, that very often have been there for a very long time. We yeah, because what's families. different about what you guys do, and I mean to jump in there, but what's different about what you guys do is it's not a situation, and, and again, I, I want to, the reason I'm jumping in here is some people might say, well, it's a boy's home. You know, people are, you, yeah. you're taking troubled young men, and you're putting them in a boy's home. And that's not the traditional setting. If the family's not involved, it's not going to work, right? It, it will not work. That is exactly right. It won't work. We take, uh, we, we take the families. They're part of it. If the, the boys go home during a, a lot of weekends. So, uh, so multiple weekends a month, they will go back to their homes. And we, uh, some folks on staff, we call those game days. Those are the, day, the days where we're taking everything they're learning during the week and all the choices and consequences and all those concepts and they're they're taking them back home and putting that environment they come back on campus we we assess along with the families how did they do and what do we continue to work on the other thing about it being a, a, a not really a boys home is reunification is our goal we want these boys to go back we want those generational those generational issues to be to be solved and rectified so the average boy stays about two years and then they're launched from the program uh, and they typically go back into their schools. They go back home. Uh, but when you say it's not a typical program, it, it is so atypical. This idea of having house parents where they're modeling family values, they're working together as a family, they're cooking meals together, they're sitting together, they're praying together. They are, uh, they're going outside and doing activities together as a family. They are modeling things that this is, this is not a residential congregate care type solution. Yeah. This is. We are changing hearts. We are working towards changing the hearts of these boys. So what do you think is the most missed 
conceived or most misconstrued question or opinion thought around Chestnut Mountain Ranch because again on the surface people might say and Greg you know I know you well enough and you know me well enough so you know I'm I am not trying to put words in your mouth You, you know that yeah but but somebody that that is listening might say okay Greg so you know what's the secret sauce what what's the one thing that that people kind of miss the mark and i know you've talked to people all over the place yeah you know when when you tell them what you're doing what's the one thing that you hear the most and you're like that's nothing like what we do so i i just heard it over the past the the past week brian where where someone was I was having a conversation. Some of it was on the phone. Some of it was via email. And they said, oh, well, you're a Christian school for boys. Uh, no, that is no. Or, or, or you're a home for boys. And those are the things that we, we typically hear. Now, we're, we are a program working to restore, uh, to renew the hearts and minds and reach the hearts of these boys. It is very intentional. It is, it is a structured community that comes around them. Uh, the boys worship together in our in our chapel once a week. Yeah. There are three homes that are there. Uh, it is we are constantly pointing to them to the truth and breaking these behavioral cycles. The other secret sauce is it's Christ centered. I mean, ultimately, the source of renewal is that it will work. So I've got to ask Greg. I got to ask you though. He, here's the thing that and and again, I'm kind of feeling that invisible listener tapping me on the shoulder and saying, ask him this. So I, w- I want to jump in and ask you this. What is the most common, if you can, if you can share that, what is the most common problem that you see that leads a young man and his family or his family and the young man to oh, Chestnut wow, Mountain yeah. Ranch? Is it because again, I think people that are going to listen to this conversation, they're listening to it now are going to go, well, you guys, you know, they, they must be, you know, they must be, uh, from a broken home. They must be a troublemaker. There must be some reason why these families don't feel like that they can handle this problem alone. So what is the most common problem that would lead a family and the young man to Chestnut Mountain Ranch? That, that's a great question. And I'll start it out saying, first of all, every single situation is different. Uh, and, and, and every family is different, especially now. And I want to, I'm going to take a turn here in a bit and talk specifically more about what I'm doing at the ranch. Uh, but, but every situation there is different. So if I go, if I go back and say, you know, a third of our boys right now are living with grandparents. So, that immediately tells you maybe something about their their family background. About a third of those boys that are on that are that are there right now come from foster to adopt situations where they've been adopted and maybe the family's further down the road and they go we're we're ha- we're seeing that trauma resurface. Some of the other uh, the remaining families they're just seeing behavioral patterns. Uh, so when you ask the common things, we're seeing all these kids very often they're struggling academically they're struggling socially uh it is not atypical that they're in trouble at school uh to the point that they're probably already labeled as the troublemaker the kid that's not going to get back on track 
so we see all of those things where they're, they're struggling in various different ways. So it always is different, Brian, but you see those. If I went back 15 years ago when the ranch started, I would say more typically it was single moms that had kids uh, or, or, or intact families that had kids that were just choosing a path that, that they were making decisions and they were going down the wrong path, uh, getting in trouble at school, academic problems, uh, those types of things. Over the past, especially over the past about seven, eight years though in West Virginia, we've seen this shift in terms of families and what they're struggling with. Uh, if you look in West Virginia now, uh, we, we lead the nation uh, in the number of kids per capita in foster care, kids and uh, children in foster care that have been that have been somehow taken from their primary family. Well, and here's the thing, Greg, and, 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 and people might say, okay, why is that? Well, if you spent a month in our state, and I would say to you, I'm going to start you in Morgantown, and I'm going to take you to Martinsburg, then I'm going to take you to Lewisburg, then I'm going to take you to Logan. Then I'm going to take you to Charleston. Then I'm going to take you to Summersville. I'm going to take you to Huntington. Yeah. I'm going to take you to Beckley and to Princeton. You would see a lot of different socioeconomic things. Absolutely. You would probably see in some areas, though. And then I would say, okay, I'm going to finish you up in, in what we call McDowell County. Yes. I'm going to finish you up in McDowell County, literally one of the poorest areas in the country that has been ravished by coal jobs leaving and, and mm -hmm. drug abuse and addiction and things like that. And so when you say the shift in families in, in the state of West Virginia, I would say to people, you know, this is a great state that we live in. 1.8 million people. Beautiful. People Lord come to great. West Virginia and they fall in love with it. But the problems that we have are, well, we don't have great broadband access. We don't have, you know, we, we lack in certain areas and things like that. And so, yeah, that would cause a shift in families because it seems like, Greg, I'll say this, and, and, and let's go here for, for, for just a second because I want to piggyback off of what you just said in the things that cause the shift in families in our state. It's to me, it feels like when, when West Virginia, we take two steps forward and three steps backwards. <laughs> and it's like, okay, we forgot what pushed us forward. And so what we tend to do is continue to backpedal instead of going, you know what, man, this really is a great place to live. Yeah. You know, we got, yeah, we only got 1.8 million people, but we got no traffic. We've got affordable housing. We've got a low cost of living. Um, we've got, we, we've got a, a beautiful, absolutely. I've been all over the nation. My wife and I, we've been to, we've yeah. been to 49, we've been to 49 states in yeah. some way or the other, except for the you know, Hawaii's the only one we haven't hit. We haven't hit. We come back to West Virginia and we go, this is as beautiful as anything. We, yeah, we, we've got a great happen. university in Marshall University in this state. We've, we've got a lot of great <laughs> things in our state. You know, again, 
but, but you know what I mean? I had to get we, that dig we, in there. We man. have we have two great. Don't make me pull my Bob Huggins. Bob oh my Bob word! Bob yeah, Huggins. you. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. Uh, yeah. So, but, but uh, no, but, you you've really hit on that because again, I don't. I and, and, and Greg, forgive me for drawing this this out, but. West Virginia has been the butt of a lot of jokes yeah. over the years. Yeah. But there's some serious socioeconomic and, and familial problems that we've had to deal with in our state that, you know, in, in you would say, okay, well, everybody deals with those problems. Yeah, but when you take geography mm-hmm. and you add those problems to it, you have to really go somewhere to get the kind of help that you need to get around that. When you think, I want to ask you this before we, before we, we pivot. And and again, we could talk for hours, but I want to be sensitive and, and make room and time for your story. And I know this is a part of it, but how do we, from what you've seen, how do we start to break some of those shifts in the family yeah. to where we shift it back yeah, to those things that we had 40, 50, 60 years ago yeah. in our state and, and where, where people just said, we're going to lead the nation and it's not going to be an illiteracy and it's not going to be yeah. an addiction and it's not going to be in all, the, all this yeah. other negative stuff. What do you see that we can do to shift it back? So I, uh, you, you hit, first of all, that, that last seven, eight years where we've seen this dramatic shift in family, some of those socioeconomic problems and economic instability and those things we, we've had for a long time. It was substance abuse that, that made the whole thing just start to pivot. Uh, 85% of the kids that are removed uh, in, in West Virginia, like actually, these aren't necessarily the boys that are at, these aren't really the boys that are at Chestnut Mountain Ranch right now. These are kids that are in the system uh, that are that are being removed by Child Protective Services or others. 85% of them it's substance abuse. So what we're doing, Brian, is we, we've looked and spent enough time in this, uh, in this world to say there's something about this structured, loving, Christ-centered community that works where we've seen our boys that have come with, with families and others that come, uh, we'd call that kind of the, pre- the prevention stage where upstream we're, we're, we're getting to these families that are, that are a little more intact and we're helping them keep kids out of the juvenile justice system downstream. Uh, well, the, the intervention side of this is when CPS has had to step in or sometimes families have had to step in and they're kinship. So we got 7,000 foster kids. We've got 40,000 uh, kids that, that live with their grandparents as their primary caregivers. So what we're starting to do, uh, and the reason that the, the thing that turned my heart as we start thinking about the story here, uh, the thing that turned my heart was uh, we, we're, we're starting to look back to the local church and say, okay, these, so foster families, they come along, they go through training, they do things because they love kids and they want to give to these kids. Uh, kids that go through multiple foster families, they face an uphill battle in terms of outcome, uh, as an example. We've gone around the nation and we've looked and said, well, who, who's handling this the best? Who's doing this really well? Well, Greg, the outcome is, forgive me for jumping in there, but the outcome has been for a lot of these kids in the foster care system, 
they bounce from family to family to family to family. Yes. You know, either they be, they're they're a problem. They're they're and I don't, and I don't say that. I say that in air quotes for those of you listening. Yeah. They're a problem for one foster family, or and let's be very transparent. I'm gonna say it. I'll take the heat for it. Some foster families look at it as a revenue generator for their families. Some do. Some and, do. And that, that becomes an issue. So that causes bounce between families to families to families. So what you said there, you've really, you know, folks, here's the thing. The problem is, is that we need stability for our children. Our children thrive on stability and that stability can be a single parent home when the single parent is there and they're present and they're aware. I I think of a young man that you and I both know and our boys played with. My son played with his older brother and and your boys played with with the younger brother, Micah. I think of Micah and I, I think of his mom being at every game every game every game and she worked hard i mean she was a hard-working lady but the the presence the presence that she had and the presence that she has in in her boys lives didn't mess with mom right they didn't mess with mom but again she created stability for dimitri and micah right and and again, I think of that. I think of that so yeah. powerfully and so so vividly. And forgive me for jumping in there, but yeah, it's it's, okay. it's the stability. You know, that's the biggest problem that I see that we've had with foster care is the instability. A lot of times that that a child has when we put that system in place to create stability, and it's done the opposite. It's created a lot of instability. It, it very often has. If you take a look at the, if you take a look at the foster, the folks that foster. So it's not a, it's not a trivial decision to decide to become a foster parent, Brian. It is. You, you, you literally have to go through home studies and your family's interviewed and you get training and then you, you're taking care of this child, but you don't have all the parental rights. You have some of the parental rights. National studies in West Virginia and parts of West Virginia, it's, it seems to be worse. After one year of fostering for most of these families, they stop doing it. After two years, 80% of them stop doing it. So that churn that goes on, you're never going to find, just imagine if you had a business that was churning over 80% of their employees every year. What we found, uh, and again, the reason I ended up at Chestnut Mountain Ranch is we started finding that in places where they're able to through the church, primarily that we've seen it through through God's people, where they're able to put a community around a foster family or a community around a, a kinship family, some you know grandparents because grandparents get tired and sometimes even though they're there, it's not necessarily all that stable because they're doing the best they can. Uh, we found that when you take people out of a church and you give them very good roles and very clear roles of you're going to help take meals to this family. You're just going to be looking in and praying and encouraging this family. Encouragement's a big part of this. 
You're going to you're going to be doing laundry for this family. When when you start those things and you start giving them outlets and building community around them, we've seen it go from not 80% that leave every two years to these families when they're supported by their community and care communities, as we call them, 90% of them in two years are still doing it. It flips the script, completely, completely flips the script. So what I'm doing now uh, is Chestnut Mount Ranch has been this residential home and school for boys. We're stepping into this world of foster care and saying, can we now begin to create these structured communities in churches, because we've seen this, it's proven, it's worked elsewhere. Can we start to do this? It, there, there's a there's a movement nationally, Brian, where we see this being done all over the nation. It's not made its way here to West Virginia yet, but we've brought it here. Uh, we're, we started a new ministry out of the ranch that we're calling Chestnut Mountain Village, which is creating Christ-centered communities through churches to create hope and homes for vulnerable kids and families. So I'm traveling throughout the state, talking wow. to churches, talking to people, and God's people are ready for this. When they understand, when they understand the problem and their hearts automatically, I go to James 127, which says, you know, religion that is pure and uh, pure and genuine uh, is this, to take care of widows and orphans in their affliction and to be unstained by the world. That's a description. That's not a commandment. That is a description of the way God's people behave. And when we take that church and we explain that to them, they often look and say, okay, we know we need to do something. What do we do? Well, that's where we come in. We're working with these other organizations across the nation, and we're bringing in and teaching them, guiding them, equipping them to go into their communities, to go into their own churches, to go into their own towns and little hills and hollers, and start caring for these families in very practical ways. Yeah. And it could change the entire future. You've got new mentors around kids. You've got more stability around kids. And we're also seeing those communities start to go. We, we've stayed with this foster family that has these kids. The ultimate goal of, uh, of, of the foster uh, system has always been reunification we're seeing these care communities then go and come alongside of the biological primary families right. and trying to create that stability. You're right, right? It's stability. It's bringing, it's bringing consistency around, uh, but it's not something that, that, that comes, it's complex system. There are rules in terms of how you engage with foster kids and how you don't. So we are bringing training around to, to change this whole narrative in the state, to change how God's people uh, care for these kids. That's the thing that that brought me, and so I'm the director of foster care here at Chestnut Mountain Ranch now. That's the thing that I said. This is this is such an issue. We are doing a great job of taking care of those boys that are at the ranch and that program, and build three homes there now. We'll break it. We'll break it a, a ground on the fourth home. That program continues to go. We're getting interest from other parts of the country of saying, "How did you do that thing?" Well, we're looking and saying, what about all these kids where the state or the families have had to intervene in very different ways? How do we take that community and recreate it? No, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And again, I, I love how you broke that down for us because again, 
I believe that we've got to have in in a world, and we've seen a chaotic world the last two years around COVID nineteen. You bring stability to these kids. It's it's great. Let's step aside, take another break, and we come back. I want to tell a little bit of Greg's story, and again, just kind of walk you through, kind of bring all this conversation full circle. My guest is my friend, my buddy, Greg Clutter, who joins me on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Come back with us here in just a moment. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton. I want to take a moment and tell you about my friend Harry Spate and his new book, Selling with Dignity. Harry has taken an age-old concept of sales, and he's put a new twist to it, and I love the direction that he's taken with Selling with Dignity. And here's what's encouraging about Harry's book. Instead of viewing people as numbers and machines, salespeople are now given the tools and the encouragement to be dignified in their approach. Here's what Harry says. He says, selling is an honorable profession when it's done right. When sellers feel they're valuable and have integrity and respect. This opens the door for better conversations and eventually relationship. This book puts an end to sleazy sales tactics and proves why selling with dignity can be done and it leads to massive success. And I couldn't agree more. Go to sellingwithdignity.com, get your copy today. And if you want Harry to sign it, he'll do that for you. Again, go to sellingwithdignity.com and pick up your copy today of the new book by Harry Spate, Selling with Dignity. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional encourage your podcast greg let me i'd be remiss if we didn't tell your story so man take me as far back as you want to take me because some things i know some things i don't know yeah but take me as far back as you want to take me and and maybe a couple of uh obstacles in life challenging situations you overcame and some encouragement and lessons you found through it. Absolutely. So I'm going to take you back about 12, 13 years ago, uh, Brian, when my, when Jennifer and I lived here in Morgantown, uh, we lived here for work. Uh, actually we had, we had landed here when our boys were, were, were first born uh, because we lived in North Carolina for a, a long time. So my other team is the Tar Heels. That's the Mountaineers number one. Tar Heels were right behind them. But, but and, and, and we landed here because of a business opportunity, and I was, I was a business guy. I 30, spent 30 years in, uh, as a business, uh, in business. My background was uh, 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 finance. Uh, still have a CPA, MBA from the University of North Carolina, had, had spent time in the business world with technology communities and, and, and technology companies in, in, in Research Triangle Park area. Uh, found myself back here working with technology companies in West Virginia, but we came back because this is where our family was. And we had twin boys, and when you got newborn twin boys, you just need help. And we came, we came back to community. So maybe that's the you know maybe that's the first spark of this where we say wait a minute we need we need community around. But while we were here in Morgantown and I was working for some great organizations here, uh, Chestnut Mountain Ranch started and and I found myself on the original West Virginia based board. Uh, it was started with just a seed and a vision from our original founders Steve and Don Finn. Uh, they came back here with just a vision of uh, of helping kids in West Virginia. I was on the board. I loved the ministry. I loved what they were doing. Uh, stayed engaged. 
I ended up having to get a transfer to Charleston, West Virginia, uh, which gave me exposure to a different part of the state. Because like you said, every place is different. So yeah. being in Morgantown, I get this college, this college environment, this college town. Uh, I had come from Chapel Hill uh, and, and grew up in the central part of the state. And so, but going into Charleston, I saw a different part of the state, but, but I was working for a, a company down there, uh, helping it grow, uh, and, and, and to had a chief, chief operating officer role, uh, was doing well financially, was kind of on the fast track, continuing to grow, but I always stayed plugged in here at the ranch of what was going on. But, but more importantly, I, I stayed plugged in with what they were seeing in terms of the shift in families, what we were seeing with foster care, how things were changing. Uh, and that started, that started really for Jennifer and I had started pulling our hearts, but just the kids that were already at the ranch, that, that was something we were very drawn to helping these boys. Uh, but this, this shift that started happening as somebody that grew up as a young person in West Virginia, starting to see these communities struggle, starting to see uh, our, starting to see the drugs that took root in our county where Jennifer and I grew up and, uh, and, and, and seeing people we know being impacted by drug addiction and seeing kids uh, in this system uh, and, 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 and suffering, for lack of a better term, that, that started really pulling on us probably about, uh, yeah, right as it started, we were educated, but it was, it was two, three years ago, it started pulling on us. And at the same time, I started having this conversation with the folks at Chestnut Mountain Ranch about how might uh, the ranch help, given, given things that they'd seen in other places. I even began, uh, the folks at the ranch began having conversations with other folks about how is this done in other states, what seems to be working. I was even involved in some of those conversations early. But through this whole thing, it was just kind of a conversation, what might we do, how can we get this started? Uh, the team at the ranch, especially Steve Finn, was having conversations with churches and other places about ideas. Well, during COVID, uh, literally at that beginning of, of end of 2019, early 2020, of course, the whole world kind of stopped for a while. Uh, we Personally, I found myself in a situation where we had large projects going on at work. It, it was great. We were doing great stuff. The company that I work with, I can't speak highly enough of them, the, the leadership and the team that was there. But as we were going through that process and I'm working from home, I had some health problems that year. Uh, we, we found some things going on in our community where some other people had some health problems. Uh, Jennifer was teaching at that time at a local Christian school. It was going remote and back and forth. But we really found this stirring of, I don't know if this is what we want to do for, for the long term. Uh, and getting into late 2020, we were really having those conversations. I started having conversations with my pastor, with friends. Brian, you and I probably even had conversations around it during that time of, you know, I'm seeing this foster care thing and we're, yeah. we're uh, I'm unsettled and restless in this professional, in this professional world where I am. Which was the point that I even began having conversations with the CEO of the company I was working for. And he was fantastic as we were working do through you, this. Greg, do you feel like the, the, what do you feel like really pushed that button? Cause you mentioned you'd fi been fighting through some health problems and, and I think what happens a lot of times is people have, when they're dealing with health situations and things like that, they kind of have little mini epiphanies. Yeah. Like, 
like, okay, well, I don't know how serious this is or it's going to be, and boy, it would be nice to do X. I've always wanted to do this. And they kind of make decisions from from those crises that lead to bigger decisions. Did you find yourself as you were kind of, because I, I want to, what you, 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 you kind of said it in passing, but it really struck me. Did you find yourself thinking more about the things you hadn't done when you were kind of fighting through some health issues? I, you know, so my health issues were, were, they, they drug on for a few, uh, uh, they drug on for a few months, but it did turn it did turn out to be much more serious. I ended up having to have emergency surgery, and when they got in there, it was much worse. So that makes you kind of stop when you have a doctor look at you and go, you know, about 60% of the people that go through that, they don't make it. Uh, so I healed fine. It was all great. But that was a, that was a moment where I stopped. Uh, that was one moment in this journey where I would say was was one of those pivotal moments, Brian. Another one was, uh, as I was talking to a dear friend of mine at some point, he says, uh, what if, uh, what if this opportunity of possibly helping, there was really no opportunity yet. There was no funding. There was no program. We were, but, but what if you came to the end of your time here on earth and you hadn't done something, what would be that one thing you'd regret not trying? And I didn't have to think about it, Brian. It was try to do something about the foster care situation and help kids in the, in the state of West Virginia. The other thing that happened uh, is, is God was orchestrating various different things at, at, at a pretty high level, which uh, unbeknownst to me, is while I'm having these conversations with the ranch and having health problems and starting to think, I, I would really, really like to do something here, uh, back in in late 2020, the assistant secretary for the for the administration of children and families at the federal level. So this lady was one step away from the president, knew the family, worked with the president. Assistant Secretary Lynn Johnson, uh, she contacted folks at the ranch and said, so from D.C. called and said, we know about Chestnut Mountain Ranch because we've been looking at different things. Can I come and speak to faith leaders at Chestnut Mountain Ranch? And can you convene them? So the ranch, the leadership there convened about 40, 50 uh, pastors and ministers and others and priests from this area. And Assistant Secretary Johnson showed up and gave two things. One is uh, some some, uh, motivation and a challenge, some information and motivation and a challenge to this community when she said, do you understand the problem? the foster care problem, do you understand how kids are suffering in West Virginia? And number two, where are you, church? What are you doing about it? And she really laid this out very clearly. So a few churches in the area came back to the ranch eventually and some other local businesses eventually and some some foundations and said, we know what we can do. We can start this at our, we can start taking care of kids here. But what can we do statewide? And Chestnut Mountain Ranch, would you take this on? So all of a sudden, Brian, there was a position that was like available and funded at this little nonprofit. Now, when I say funded compared to what I was, you know, financially where Jennifer and I were before compared to stepping into ministry, it was was dramatic. 
Well, and, and you and I had it. I remember you and I had had conversations about what things might look like after our kids graduated high school. Because yeah. I was like, okay, well, and you're like, yeah, we may go back to North Carolina because I know your boys, had, you know, especially Roger, loved North Carolina State. He did. You he know, did. And, and, yeah. you know, we, you and I had talked, and I think, you know, yeah, we, you know, Tanya and I'd like to go to North Carolina ourselves. And, you know, so you have these plans and they're flipped. I got to ask you this. So take me, let, let me, let me just go here. Let me go here real quick. I think it would be good to ask you, how did you encourage yourself and your wife, how did you guys come together? How'd you encourage yourselves to put the other things that you might've thought about doing aside to do this? What was the encouragement for you that said, let's pursue this instead of this? That is just, that is a great question. One piece of, one piece of our journey is we did, we did, uh, lose a, lose a, a friend of ours to an industrial accident who, who I was very close to, and you may even remember that time, Brian. Uh, but this guy, uh, he was the consummate, just the, 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 the ultimate encourager where he would work night shift at a local chemical plant. And then he would work night shift and come and go on his way home. He would stop at hospitals and pray with people and care for people and, and care for the elderly. We saw him come out of uh, him. We lost him and his family. And, his and I think that was about the same time, Greg, that, that we had a, a, you know, a good friend of ours and, and forgive me for jumping in there, but we had a good friend of ours, Jay, Jay Cox, who's been a guest on the Intentional Encourager podcast here. I'll never forget you and I standing outside of the school gymnasium. It was very A day or two after he and his family had lost everything in a fire. Yes. And we're just sitting there, you know, we're standing there. And Jay, who does everything for everybody... I, I'm I'm looking at you. So so Jay is to to my right, your left. You're across from me. It's kind of like a little triangle. Yeah. And you and I are just standing there, dumbfounded. Like we are so glad that nothing happened to this family. Like this could have been oh, tragic, yeah. tragic. It it could have. It could have been devastating for that little community that little calvary community it, it would have been it would have been devastating for the for the whole town and i uh i do remember that brian and it was it was but to look at jay and he's like we're okay i mean literally with all of that he knew they were okay and he was working through it and struggling and he's such a they're such a giving family and and uh you know that was a whole that was that played a role in in, in all of this but we found you know, Jennifer and I found ourselves going, seeing models of this in our community of people that 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 had things happen and and go, well, we're not really living life like that. It made us. Uh, I often tell this story of uh, I won't I won't go through the whole thing, but but ultimately there's this there's this story of a guy who's walking along the road and he bumps into a 
he bumps into kind of a military compound as he comes down and the guard yells at him, who are you and what are you doing here? And he pauses and he goes, what did you just ask me? The guard said, who are you and what are you doing here? And he says, will you come to my house and ask me that question every day when I leave? Who are you and what are you doing here? And that was ultimately kind of the question that we looked at and said, we don't want to have any regrets. We knew the kids were leaving. We knew they were both headed to, they were headed to WVU, coincidentally, the same, the same town that we were thinking about going back to, which was total coincidence. But, but we knew, and that your question was around encouragement, you know, we were encouraged by the way we saw other people living. Uh, so my friend had passed, and you're right, Jay, was, that, that was at the same time. We were encouraged by that uh, and how people were giving. We, we took a good hard look at, you know, what were we doing for ourselves versus what were we doing for our community? Uh, and the encouragement was honestly just the opportunity to go do that work and try to make a difference, which ignited us and excited us. Uh, and we found ourselves getting plugged in to other people that were starting to do this work as we got closer and closer. Uh, and, 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 and as we were walking through that transition of, you know, ultimately it comes down to the day you walk into the office and say, I'm done. Uh, um, here's my, here's my 30 day notice. Uh, and Brian, it was, it was great. I mean, I, it's like that being candid at work and having those conversations about, I'm probably going to go do something else. And I think I think I'm getting it figured out. It was incredibly supportive and encouraging. And, and then people start asking the questions of what are you doing? Why are you do? Are you crazy? What are you doing? And, uh, uh, to some extent being asked those questions gave me a chance to say, express my faith and say, that's not crazy. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give up these things, this little bit of comfort to go help these kids that are suffering so much. Uh, speaking from a pure, pure faith perspective as a follower of Christ, I go, this ain't nothing compared to what he did for me. This is walking in his, you know, walking in his uh, example of to, to, to be like him, of you sacrifice those things for others. I think I answered your question. No, it was that was perfect. <laughs> that was perfect. Greg, you and I could talk for hours, man. But we absolutely yeah. Could. But I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to share with folks your biggest piece of intentional encouragement. You know, I uh, I that that little story, Brian. I would that there is something so enlightening about that little story of. I'll constantly asking that question of who are you and what are you doing here? Uh, and just, and just checking just, and, and if you, if you can honestly look at yourself and say, I know who I am and I know what I'm doing here. I know the difference I'm making in the world. You got it. You got something. And if you don't have that, I would encourage people to start taking those steps, you know, ask that, that, that question that I was asked on this journey of, What's that one thing that if you got down the road 10 years and you never did that you would say, I should have done that. Uh, don't, don't get 10 years down the road and regret those things. And it's not all that hard. Once you start the pieces come in place. It sure does. Greg, man, I tell you what, this has been enjoyable. Uh, we've been shooting for this for a little while. And, we have. Uh, it was nice to, to walk down memory lane a little bit with you. 
let folks know where they can connect with you if they want to find out more about Chestnut Mountain Ranch, if they want to find out more about, you know, how do we replicate this? What do we do? Let folks know Absolutely. how they can connect with you. So uh, so what I'm doing right now, this Chestnut Mountain Village piece, uh, there's a couple ways you can connect. First of all, on the foster care side and what we're doing, uh, cmvwv.org. Uh, is the website for Chestnut Mountain Village, West Virginia.org. Uh, and you can get to links right there back to kind of the parent, the mothership of Chestnut Mountain Ranch, or you can go straight to the ranch, cmrwv.org. We don't make that complex, Brian. It's cmvwv or cmrwv. Uh, and and, and, and uh, you'll see my email there and uh, at the village website. and. That's my, my direct line, and we'd love to hear from you. Sign up for a newsletter. We will be. Uh, we Actually, just today, we're starting to announce something that we're, uh, we're putting out save the dates for an event we're going to be trying to do here in Morgantown. We're actually going to do here in Morgantown, where we help to rally church leaders from all across the state, bring them here, inform them of uh, what's going on with children in the state, remind them of their biblical mandates and then teach them how to do this and care for kids in their community. That's May 18th. Uh, that's the, uh, all in foster care summit. That'll be the next thing we're doing. CMVWV.org is where you can learn more about that. Or CMRWV.org. Greg Clutter, my man, this has been fun. It's been enjoyable, been powerful, uh, man. Can't thank you enough for joining me on the intentional courage podcast. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.